The following sermon was preached at Redeemer Church in Tumball, Texas. For more information, go to makingmuchofjesus.org. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, please take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll continue in our, in our study uh, pretty much chapter by chapter, nearly line by line through this great book. And we're nearing towards the end. Really, we have only two, three chapters left to hit, 14, 15, and 16. And I'm excited to see what it is that the Lord will teach us today. And so as we begin chapter 14, we have to remember that we're hearing a section that Paul has been dealing with this whole time about unity and growth among the Corinthian church. They were, they were valuing some spiritual gifts so high that they were beginning to devalue others. And what they were doing this, when that invariably happens, what will occur is you begin to value the people who have those spiritual gifts more than you value the people who do not. And so Paul is seeking to correct this danger in the Corinthian church. And we'll begin in verse four, uh, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. And since these words come to us today in the authority of King Jesus, whether you're reading them in a paper Bible or you're reading them on your phone, they're all his words. And so let's stand together in honor of Christ and we'll read from verse 1 down through verse 26. And the Spirit says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, and I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church... I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. 
Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Let's pray. Holy Father, now, would you send your spirit to move among us, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear your word, and that Jesus, our great God and Savior, would be exalted and made much of and enjoyed, and that we would feel the love of God right now, today. Jesus, we need you. Move among us now for your glory and for our building up, we ask in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the other day, my, my kids, uh, Ivy, she's six, and Oliver, he'll be two in November, they were running around the house like they do, and they're screaming and, and chasing each other, playing tag and, and doing these races, which Ivy always wins because she's six. And he's two almost. And they're just running up and down this hall, screaming and chasing each other. And then I hear Ivy yell to my son, let's go play with the dog. Let's go to the dog. And we have a little dog uh, named Pancake. Uh, don't ask me why. I, don't, I have no idea the origination of that name. It's just my wife's brain. And she's a super sweet dog. I mean, great dog. Really great with the kids. Shake hands. Let's Oliver poke her in the eyes and doesn't do anything. And I'm sitting on the couch watching them uh, run and watching my kids play, and they're running towards Pancake. And Pancake's right in front of me, like on the rug. Couch is here, rug's here, Pancake's here. Kids are running this way, and they're running towards Pancake. And all of a sudden, they run right past Pancake, and they run to this little tiny robot dog sitting in the corner. And I'm looking at them going, you ran past a real dog to play with a fake dog. There's a real dog right there. You can play with a real, a real live dog. This robot dog does nothing. You hit it on its head, and it goes, Meow, and its eyes move. And there's a real dog right there. And just the other day, Ivy was playing this game, and Natalie asked her, hey, will you go feed Pancake? Yeah, let me finish taking care of these animals on the farm game. Like, you can go feed a real dog, a real animal right now. There's a real animal you can take care of. And I sat and I watched them. Like, they're totally missing out on the real thing. And I think a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, And us too, if we aren't careful, we can miss out on the real thing of God's dynamic moving moving among Christians through the spiritual gifts. And I imagine that as we read today's passage, some of us felt really uncomfortable. Some of us were really uncomfortable, nervous, a little panicky, maybe even a little sweaty. Oh no, we're talking about prophecy in tongues. And I imagine that some of us, when we read this passage, you thought, Hallelujah. I brought my tambourine today. It's been in my purse the whole time. I have been waiting to bust this thing out. It can collapse open. It looks like an 
Altoid 10, but it's really a tambourine you open up. Some of you just rejoice in it. We're going to talk about these things. And we all have different backgrounds. That's one thing I love about our church. So many different backgrounds. Methodist, Southern Baptist, Anglican, Episcopalian. This, some of you, this is your first church you've ever been a part of, and I, I love that. And we all have different thoughts about gifts and, and prophecy and tongues. And today I had planned to walk through this passage and untangle this passage and talk about what the gift of tongues really is. Is it still around today? What is it? If it's going to happen, why does Paul say an interpretation is required? Is there a private prayer language? All things I wanted to untangle. Because I know some of us are uncomfortable with these things. I'm uncomfortable with some of these things. I think some of the things that we've seen, we ought to be uncomfortable with, because a lot of what we've seen is unbiblical. But there is a biblical gift of tongues. What is it? And you can even see prophecy. Okay, what is prophecy? I mean, look at verse 1. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, and look at this next phrase. Especially that you may prophesy. This is a command from the Apostle Paul. Desire the gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Whoa. Are we obeying this? Is this something we need to obey? So does prophecy still exist today? How does that work? How is New Testament prophecy different from Old Testament prophecy? Is it different? You can see a lot of these issues get really, they get really bound up and get really tangled. Because I know that even when I read this passage this week, I'm studying it more and more and more. And you can see from the text that the Apostle Paul says that he prays in tongues. He says it himself. For I thank God. Look at verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So I read that this week and I'm thinking, whoa, here's the guy that we picture. Great man of doctrine. He teaches election and predestination and justification and, the, and adoption and ecclesiology. And he says, and there's also a part of me that I pray in tongues. I read it this week and I got, man, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable thinking of Paul this way. Why? Paul's not uncomfortable with it. We shouldn't be uncomfortable with it. So why am I uncomfortable seeing the great man of doctrine, the Apostle Paul, the great missionary, and also a section of his life where he says, I pray in tongues. We feel uncomfortable with some of these things because we're assuming all the unbiblical stuff that we've seen is what Paul's talking about. Paul actually, he says some of these things are unbiblical and they should not be happening. Tongues should not happen in public without someone interpreting it. He says that that should not happen in the church. Why? Because it doesn't build up people. It only builds up the speaker. It doesn't build up the church. So I'm studying this morning going, okay, this is really complicated. What about prophecy? There's a man that gives a prophecy in the book of Acts, and some of the details are wrong. They didn't stone him. What's up with that? And look, look at chapter 14. Look at verse, we didn't read it, but look at verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. That's interesting. So there's, a vi- there's this teaching of prophecy in the New Testament where someone can give a prophecy and everyone else can go, hmm, okay, yeah, I'm all right with that. This does not happen in the Old Testament. There is no, Isaiah gives a prophecy and Israel goes, eh, I don't know, Isaiah. I'm not okay with that. First Thessalonians 5, do not despise prophecies. Test everything, hold fast to what is good. So are these kinds of teachings where, okay, Something about prophecy and something about tongues is different than what we've seen in the culture and what we've seen on TV, what we've seen in other churches. 
what does the Bible actually say? And I talked with the guy after the first service. He said, I used to read this passage and it would freak me out. And I would, I would get angry. He says, but now I was, I was reading this passage this week, getting ready for Sunday. And I thought, okay, I'm open to what the Bible says. What does the Bible actually say? Not what my tradition says. Because I grew up Southern Baptist, and so this passage freaks me out. I remember the church where I grew up in, there was one lady that she would just sweetly raise her hand. You would have thought she had streamers or something, the way everyone <laughs> reacted to that. And so I grew up thinking, this doesn't exist anymore. These things don't happen. But I don't, I don't think that anymore. I believe what this passage says. And so today, I'm, I'm saying all that to say, I don't have time to talk about it all. <laughs> it's uber complicated because of our time, our setting. I wanted to address all these things. I love this chapter, and I started writing it on Friday, got about halfway through, looked at my word count, and realized, oh my goodness, this would take me three hours to teach all of this. We don't have that, and that's just not where we can be in the Sunday morning pulpit. It's easier for the Corinthians because they already know all these assumptions. We don't know them. We have to learn them. But require This passage really requires scuba gear to understand. And we don't have enough oxygen tanks for, every, for everybody to, to go through this. And so I realized this was turning into like this doctrine seminar instead of preaching Christ. I'm not a minister of information. I'm a minister of Christ. And so we will do a doctrine seminar uh, on this passage. In, in October, the plan is right now to do a two-hour Monday night. I'll give you the date when we will go through this passage through detail, we will go through the Old Testament, New Testament, and we will see what is New Testament prophecy today? What is the gift of tongues today? And I can't wait to do that and to go through and answer all of your questions. But how does this work? How does this happen? Because you have guys on one side, guys I respect and admire so much. Guys like John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul and Tom Schreiner, one of my professors, who believe that tongues and prophecy have ended. And you have guys on the other side, guys like Wayne Grudem, John Piper, Matt Chandler, who believe they are still operating today. And, and I believe that as well. But we don't have time to do all that. But what we do have time to really do is just catch Paul's main point of the entire passage and not get hung up on prophecy in tongues, which is easy to do here because he talks a lot about it, but to catch the main point. I imagine this sermon, or now we're gonna lift up one big sail together and we're gonna try to catch Paul's mega point so we can move forward in Christ. So what's his main point? I think it's two musts for a healthy church. Two musts that have to happen for a healthy church, and this is the definition of it. In love, eagerly build each other up. In love, eagerly build each other up. Look at verse one. Here's the first one. We must pursue love. Look at verse one. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And we, so pursue love. This is a command. And we saw at length last week that the Corinthians needed to grow in love for one another. We saw this in chapter 13. Now, chapter 13 is not really, first and foremost, a passage about weddings. It's a passage about love in the local church, that the Corinthians needed to be patient with one another, kind with one another, that love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. As you can see, look at the end of chapter 12, beginning in verse 31. These are all connected. Remember, the chapter divisions were not written by the Holy Spirit. These were added by men to help us navigate the Bible. This is all connected. Chapter 14, 13, and 12 are all connected. At the end of chapter 12, he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then chapter 13 is all about love, what love is, how it's patient and kind, doesn't envy, it's not resentful, it's not irritable. And then he says at the end of 13, 
The greatest of these is love. And then 14.1, the next sentence connected right together, pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And 13, Paul is just holding up love. Here's what love is and telling them to look at it, to put it on display, because you have to behold love before you can behave in a truly loving way. You have to behold love before you can behave in a truly loving way. Or another way to say it, you have to be in awe of the love of Christ for you before you can truly love others like Christ. This is a theme through the entire New Testament. Walk in love as Christ loved us, Ephesians. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, so once we are gripped by God's love, then and only then, only then can we truly be loving people. And this is a love that goes beyond sentimentality, but it's patient, kind, not keeping a record of wrongs. It's not resentful. So Paul lays all, those, all that out. And then 14.1, pursue love. The first command. He hasn't given a command in all of chapter 13. He just showed them what to look at, what to believe, what to love. And then 14.1, first command, pursue that. Pursue love. Chapter 14 is filled with commands, two in the very first verse. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So we've got to ask ourselves, because verse 1 is not optional. Any of the commands in the New Testament are not optional things. Like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. Right. No. Pursue love. How do you pursue the 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love? Because when he says love, we should be thinking chapter 13. So how do we pursue this kind of love? It begins with first peering into the F5 tornado of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then it flips you upside down and you feel it and you're changed by it and your whole outlook, your entire look at reality and the universe changes completely. And now you are able to pursue love for one another. Pursue love among other Christians. This is what Paul's saying. When you interact with other Christians, pursue love. And here's the first thing we should learn about pursuing love. Pursuit isn't idle. Pursuit is not idle. Pursuing love, just pursuing, doesn't sit on the couch and wait for the other person to do something. That's how a lot of Christians react. I'll, I'll love them if they love me first. I'll, I'll do something loving if they do something loving first. That's not pursuing love. Pursuit takes the first step. I'm looking. How can I love? How can I serve? How can I be kind? How can I be encouraging? I, I want to I love this person. I'm pursuing it. We, pursuit is taking the first step. I'm going out there because I've been so loved by Jesus and his death for my sins, that I can lay down my life, I can lay down my preferences for this brother or sister in Christ. So now, because Christ died for me and rose again, now I am in hot pursuit to be kind, to be gracious. The pursuit of love is not passive. And that makes me think about our basketball team, the Houston Rockets. Their playoff run, it may have been a word they used all season, but the word that repeated throughout the stadium, I even have a cup from from. Toyota Center in our, in our, in our uh, cabinet, and it has big on the side, pursuit. What was their pursuit? The ring, the championship. And what did they do? It took effort. It took work. It took emptying themselves every game, exhausting themselves, pursuit, the goal in mind. 
They could not just show up at the Toyota Center, sit on the bench, and just go, I'm just going to wait here until the other team says they're not going to hurt me. I'm just going to wait here. I know, hey, we're in pursuit. We're, t- we're in pursuit, right? We're in pursuit. But I'm not going to go out there unless they can assure me I'm not going to get hurt. I'm not going to go out there with that guy. That guy with the big beard, he's a ball hog. I'm not going out there to play with him. I know he's MVP runner-up. I'm not going to play with him. It's all about heart. He got a big old poster on there. No one put a poster on me. This, this wouldn't happen. Because they're actually in pursuit. They know it takes work. It takes effort. It takes sweat. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes sacrifice. It takes teamwork. Our pursuit as a local church, as believers, is love. So how are you pursuing love? This is, not, this is a non-optional question for every Christian in this room. How are you pursuing love? Do you? Do you see other Christians and think, how can I love them? How can I move toward them? Or we should ask maybe this question. Why do I move away from that person? Why do I get irritated with them? They didn't sin. They haven't done anything. They're just pouring their drink, and I'm irritated with them. And they have done nothing, and yet I'm stewing. When these inner alarms start to go off, you have to identify the problem, which is sin, not with them, but with us, and see that if 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not irritable, and I am irritable, something is wrong. Then I'm being unloving. And our natural tendency in that moment is to withdraw. I'm getting irritated. I'm getting irritable. I'm getting a little resentful. I'm just going to withdraw. I'm just going to back off of that. The Bible says the exact opposite. Rather, because of the gospel, because we've been so loved by Jesus and dying for our sins, now because of the resurrected Christ, we don't withdraw. We move forward. We go towards that person for each other's good, for their building up. And now we pursue love. We pursue them. Really, two kinds of people enter a room. The kind that enter a room and say in their heart and say subtly to everyone else, I'm here. I'm here, everybody. And this is pride. And there's also other people in that same vein that enter a room and say, no one cares I'm here. That's pride too. It's just on the other spectrum. Sometimes we all subtly think people should notice that we floated into the room. So there's the, I'm here, everyone. What do you have for me? Kind of people. And then there's the people that enter a room and say, there you are. There you are. I've been waiting to see you. Oh, I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. I read a verse this morning and I thought I have got to tell them that. That will so encourage them. I've been been wanting to share this passage with you. Do you see the difference? One is pursuing love and one is only looking to be loved. One is looking to serve. One is only looking to be served. But we remember Christ, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so now we too, since we have been so served by Jesus and his death and resurrection, and so now we too can serve the brothers. And so maybe we just need to step back and ask, do you know the love of God? And not that you know about his love, not that you know verses, you know data. I'm not asking that. Do you know his love? 
Have you seen him dripping blood on the cross in love for you, for your sins, for your crimes, for your eternity? Do you see his love for you and how Jesus went to the cross without you asking? This always blows me away. Christ did not consult with me whether or not he should go to Calvary for me or not. He said, I'm going. I'm giving my life as a ransom for you. Do you see his love that he invites you right now, wherever you are, whatever you are in, to turn and to look to him, to believe that he died for you. He offers you real life. He offers you forgiveness for your real sins, and he offers you real forgiveness, no matter where you are, what you've done. His love is an invitation for new life. This is why Christians can pursue love with one another because of the great love of God. Seen for us in two channels, two, two ways that he loved us in the past. The cross is the display of God's love for us in the past. He loved us and gave himself for us. And also, secondly, right now. We're greatly loved by God right now. If God is love, there is a steady Evervescent, mighty heart of God that cannot be stopped. There is a love too great at the center of the universe that can be contained. God is love right now towards us. No condemnation, fear in Christ, no resentment, just grace upon grace. And so when you know that love, the call to pursue love with one another, it doesn't seem bizarre, it seems natural. So are you pursuing love? As Romans 15 says, let us each please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Why? For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you, Father, fell on me. So because of what Christ has done, now the Bible says, this is what we do. Now we pursue love. We build each other up to be a healthy church. What Paul's telling the Corinthians is that you must pursue love. Secondly, Two must for a healthy church. The second one, we must build each other up. What a thing I love about love. Love sabotages all of my flesh's espionage towards self-interest. Love is a saboteur of all that my flesh wants. And in a local church, we're all lying if we don't recognize that there is a cold war that happens between our hearts and between each other, that we have to be on guard against the flesh. We have to be on guard of fighting against our pride, our self-interest, our self-righteousness. Love turns church consumers into church builders. We came into church wrongly today. If we came here and we were thinking, I am ready to be served. Rather, the Bible says, no, we come in looking to serve, to build each other up. Build each other up. Do you see how often that occurred in the passage? Look at verse 3. Verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to, for what? For their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now look at verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies, what does he do? Builds up the church. Now look at verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 5. I want you all to speak in tongues, even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. Why? So that the church may be built up. Verse 6, Paul says, I want to benefit you. Now look at verse 12. 
So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, look at what he says. Strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 17. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. In verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, tongue, interpretation. We all have something to share. What does Paul say? Let all things. This could be an infinite list. Let all things be done for building up. Paul's concern in this passage is with tongues and prophecy, but his greater concern is that the church is being built up, that they are building one another up. That word literally just means to build a house, to restore a house, to raise up a building. Also, it means to be strengthened, to be made stronger. So Paul is looking at the Corinthian church and he's saying, I want you guys to build each other up, to make each other stronger. Not neutral, definitely not going backwards, but going forwards to build each other up. And this doesn't mean that when Christians get together that we should all feel better about ourselves. That's the common way we think of the word build up because of the phrase in our culture, build up their self-esteem. This is not what Paul's after, that we'd feel better about ourselves. Surely that will happen. And only as I feel better about my identity in Christ. I don't need to feel better about who I am. I need to feel better about who I am in Jesus. I need to know better about what Jesus has done for me. I need to know better about the great love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. My Jeffness doesn't need to increase. I need to know his love better. So the idea here, what Paul's really getting at, is that of another Christian loving, helping, serving, using their spiritual gifts towards this other Christian so much that that other Christian is now stronger because of that Christian. This Christian is now stronger because of this one, because this one built this one up. They're built up all the more. Jesus wants our church to be the kind of place that we make each other stronger because we are in each other's lives, because we're using our gifts. So right now, every Christian here should be asking, who am I building up? These are all commands. Strive to excel in building up the church. Who, who am I building up? And ask it the other way also. Who's building you up? Who are you making stronger? Who is a stronger Christian than they were last year because of your love, your care, your guidance, your words of encouragement towards them? And who's stronger because of you? Who can you look at and go, because of that person's love and care and sharing of the word with me, I am a more faithful follower of Jesus because of them. Who's becoming more and more faithful to Jesus and his name and his fame and his, his glory because Christ has given you these gifts and now you are building them up. And they can look at it and say, because of them, I've been built up. And you can say, because of you, I, I've been built up. These are things we should share with one another to encourage each other. I, because of you, I've been so built up. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I I am not in a good place to build other people up. I always feel like I'm the one that needs to be built up. I'm, I, I'm not in a place to do that. Let me just tell you, 
even if you would confess that to someone, I'm not in a good place. I, I want to build you up, but I, I need you to build me up. I'm sorry. You don't apologize for that. Even confessing that, you are building up other people by showing that you have, you're, you're helping create an environment where it is safe to confess you're not okay. The last thing a local church can be is a place where we're all on eggshells about confessing sin. If we're a place where we can't confess sin, we might as well just shut this down and go do something else. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even if you're not in a good place to build others up, you can say that. And in saying it, you're creating an environment where people can be built up. So who are you building up? Who's building you up? And this doesn't mean, okay, I need to go start a Bible study with some friends. That's not what I'm saying. Because we immediately start going, okay, what what am I going to do? Sometimes it can be as easy as you're praying, you're thinking, you're driving. Whoa, why am I thinking about that person? Don't just go, hmm, that's weird, and go find a song. When you stop driving, let me preface that, text them. Hey, I just felt like I should pray for you today. How can I pray for you? You're reading your Bible, and you came across the verse, and like, oh, man, I, I, bet, I bet John would totally, man, we were talking the other day. He needs that. Hey, John, I was just reading. Check out 1 John 1, 9. I just thought I'd share that with you. That's really informal ways of building each other up. And then in your groups, in your accountability times, of building each other up in Christ. Now, I can't help but think of Hans and Franz when I read this passage. Now, I want to pump you up. We're all spiritual Hanses and Franzes. We all need each other to build each other up. And the Corinthians weren't doing that. They were abusing the gift of tongues to only build up the speaker. They were abusing the gift of prophecy. And Paul says prophecy is more valuable because it builds up the entire church. And personally, I think this will ring true for, and I think this will ring true for most of us. I am helped and I am strengthened and encouraged most just with another Christian's presence and words. It's another Christian's presence and words. The ministry of presence and the ministry of proclamation, these cannot be undervalued. When you're hurting, and just the presence of another Christian speaks volumes, builds you up. When you're confused, the presence of another Christian to help you just remember God, remember the scriptures. When you're discouraged, I get discouraged often. And I'll pray, Lord, I'm discouraged. Would you just send someone to encourage me, please? And it's like the next day, I have a handwritten card from Carrie White or, or Kitty or Carrie Winter or Kitty White. Both those ladies sent me handwritten cards at different times. And I've, I've prayed, I'm discouraged. And the next day, it's already, it's already in the mail and I have it. I know our post office isn't that impressive that it would get there in 12 hours. I get an email. Like, man, Lord, thank you. Or if you just feel blah, blah is a spiritual condition. And we just got to recognize it and don't fake it till we make it. Just go, man, you confess it to a brother or sister. I'm just not, I'm feeling off. I don't know what it is. This is the book of Hebrews. Exhort one another every day. We're reminding each other of Christ, building each other up in Christ, reminding us what is true. I love Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth 
but only such as good for what? For building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What we don't need is good advice. Sometimes we do need good advice. I'm having trouble, you know, with one of my kids. Would you, would you give me some counsel here? What would you do? But more important than good advice is we need good news. That I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That my name is written in heaven. That there is now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. That I am now more than a conqueror through him who loved us. That nothing shall separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the ways that we get built up. Not with, tick, not with the tips and tricks for the... Christian life, but with the gospel of grace. These are what spiritual gifts are for, for building up. And one thing I hope some of us hear today is that you are actually hurting yourself if you are not connected to a local church. You can learn verses on your own, but you can't live them alone. You can learn all about 1 Corinthians 13 and what love really is, but you can't put love to practice. You can't pursue love without other Christians to live it with. And every time I see a Christian disengaged from a local church, their faith, their passion, their love for Jesus, it rusts over, and some of them, they walk away from Jesus altogether. They get corroded. You know when you have a child's toy that hasn't been used in a while? And you try to turn it on, like, man, it's not turning on. You haven't played with this in years. I don't understand why. When we turn on, you flip it over, whoa, and there's white powder all over the back. We've opened like four or five toys like that this week, haven't we? You go, man, look at all this stuff. All over. These batteries are toast. Why? It sits idle. The batteries haven't been used, and they've gotten corroded, and all the juice is gone. Now there's junk everywhere, and they've gotten crusty and rusted over. When you sit idle, and you don't pursue love, and you don't build others up, you get crusty. And there are far too many crusty Christians in the Bible Belt. If you don't stay connected to other Christians, you can't obey verse 1, pursue love. If you don't stay connected with other Christians, you can't obey verse 12, strive to excel in building up the church. And if you're a part of this church, you're, you're a member of this church, let verse 12 and verse 26 echo when you gather with other Christians. We have a handful of groups that meet on Sundays. These verses should really guide your times together. Verse 12, strive to excel in building each other up. So you walk into that group and and thinking, I'm I'm not here to be served. I'm here to build everyone else up in this room. If everyone else is thinking that, it'll be one of the most unique places in the universe. And you meet with other friends at coffee shops. How can I build them up? Strive to excel. I mean, get creative. Sweat. Text, pray, whatever you must do to build people up, do it. And do it all for building up, verse 26. Let it all be done for building up. Look to strengthen each other. You look at that believer and go, man, I just want to strengthen them in Christ. And I know I need a lot of strengthening too, but I, I, I don't have anything to offer. This is why these are called spiritual gifts. They're not called metters gifts. They're not your natural talents. Some of us are more like naturally sweet people. Some of us are not naturally sweet people. And and those aren't spiritual gifts. Those are just natural demeanors. What we need are spiritual gifts, offering wisdom, encouragement through the Holy Spirit from the Scriptures, the ministry of presence and proclamation, 
do it all for building up. Have the humility to receive it. Have the love to give it. And if this will be our good, if verse 12, verse 1, and verse 26, if this will be our good when we gather together, our aim, our goal, we will not run past the real thing to go play with a lesser thing. We will not run past and avoid the real thing for the lesser thing. We won't miss God's work among us as we pursue love and do it all for the upbuilding of the church. And may God do that among us by his spirit. Let's pray. If you're serving the Lord's Supper today, I invite you to come forward. And the Bible instructs us before we take the Lord's Supper to assess our hearts, to examine ourselves. And so if there's any, any sin, any lack of love that needs to be confessed, confess it now before the Lord. Any anger, resentment, envy, pride, impatience, any, any sin that needs to be confessed before the Lord, we confess it now, remembering that we are saved by Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord Jesus, now would you move among your people by your spirit as we go to your table to remember that we are saved by your body and by your blood, that this is not of works. We cannot boast, but we can only boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which we have been crucified to the world. So now, Lord, would you be exalted among us and would you create a place here where we are all pursuing love, where we are all looking to build each other up, to make each other stronger in Christ by using our spiritual gifts that you've given us, that we may all move forward in maturity and move forward in honoring you. Help us now, Lord Jesus, for your namesake and for your glory. And in your name we pray, amen.